Hello and welcome to another edition of the Battle Royale Podcast. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, the Professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Howdy. Guest uh, from Why This Film Podcast, it is, of course, the one and only Miss Emily Slade. Hello! Tonight we are on episode 12, Stay With Me. At this point, we are now halfway through our Battle Royale deconstruction, and hopefully you all have been enjoying it. And... Tonight we are introduced to probably one of the more iconic characters in the form of Chickasaw, who many of you will probably know from from uh, Kill Bill as playing Goku, the meteor ball welding assassin for uh, Oren Ishii. Um, and here tonight uh, she's seen sporting her iconic yellow tracksuit um, as she's obviously introduced to us. Deciding that the middle of a death match is probably the best time to get in some running practice. But when it came to this episode, Emily, you'd said, like, when we were speaking to you about this project before, that, like, this was the chapter that really sort of stood out to yourself. This is my character. Like, she is everything to me. And I was going to not be able to sleep at night if you were going to go ahead and do this episode without me. So I'm just so happy to be here i have my two a4 pages of notes and a lot of history and emotion with this source material and i'm so ready and i had to ask obviously whenever we have anyone come on the show i mean what's your history with this film i mean how did you come to find battle royale okay i just just for the record i just flicked my hair over my shoulder in like a very sort of ready stance i just feel that that's a very important thing to visualize right now as i really works on radio monologue. doesn't it yeah so yeah it's a struggle but i'm working through it it's fine i got this so okay i first was introduced to battle royale through the manga mm-hmm. controversial so i was about 15 and i had a boyfriend and he had all the manga and I borrowed them all and I read them. And I was like, um, this is amazing. Oh. Uh, once I'd finished the manga, which is, I would argue, the more absolutely violent and graphic yes, um, version of the story, but also arguably the most in-depth because you get to literally have an entire book dedicated to a character that might just be a, a, a half a chapter in the novel and, and non-existent in the movie. Um so I'd done the manga, then the next step inevitably was to watch the movie, and then I bought the book and I read the book. So I did it in that order, and because it was the first one I was always introduced to, the manga was always my favourite, and instantly, because they have all their little faces um, at the beginning, in like headshots, in the manga, she was like death number 24 and 24 is the day of my birthday so i was like i like her i also liked her face i liked how she looked um and then when we got to the movie she was played by gogo yubari and i was like uh hello can this get any better so i promptly became obsessed with her also the fact that she is the prettiest and she's one of only two to kill a boy but we'll go into those things but in terms of battle royale that's basically where it started when i was 14 15 and I basically revisited all of them constantly over the next over 10 years. Um, so I'm obsessed with Battle Royale. I know all the different mediums. And I still would say that the manga is my favorite because of its depth. Um, but yeah, that's my history with Battle Royale. 
Oh, very interesting. I have to obviously question if you're going from the manga, which, as you say, is very in depth and it's very sort of graphic, and then you look at the film, which in many ways is more restrained and it cuts a lot of the material out and changes things around to make them more sort of work within the set, the you know the confines of a film. Was it sort of like a disappointment um, and the way that certain adaptations to the screen have often been, or did you sort of like what uh, was actually done in the film version? So I think at 15, and um, also I think I need to say that I watched the movie Battle Royale and then later on I so I watched his version and then I bought my own version secondhand and I didn't realise it was the like extended version. So it had yeah. all of the like additional random shit and scenes that were silent in the normal car, had dialogue in this car and like, yeah, so I've seen all the versions. Um I at 15 I don't think I thought much of it I thought I like you know I had my opinions about adaptations from books at that time anyway and I think I just sort of succumbed you know we were halfway through the Harry Potter adaptations at that point and I'd gotten my rage out in like 2001-2002 re-adaptations and how they suck generally yeah. um, like thinking about it now uh, the movie is definitely my least favourite because it's simplistic and um, this sounds strange, but it's like, um, like sensitive. It like, like I don't like what they do with the sensei, with, with um, the guy in charge. They make him, and I know they kind of had to. It kind of makes sense to make him someone that the kids will know. Yeah. But I, I don't like that. I really do not like his relationship with Noriko. I find it weird and unnecessary. But as a movie for the concept, like with everything, obviously it's it's so much fun and I, I love it because like the 2006, I believe, Pride and Prejudice, if you just need a quick shot of Mr. Darcy, hour and a half, neck it, it's not great, but it will do for now until you've got time to sit down and watch the 90s BBC adaptation full length. It's that. It's like, if I need my Battle Royale hit, the movie is fine. But I do always watch the like little Sephiroth moments and stuff. And I'm like, yeah. ugh, remember when he was like shot in the back of the car and it was way better? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's just knowing what they could have done is annoying. Okay. I don't know how uh, to think now, Stephen, that obviously we rated this as our number one Asian movie of all time. So. <laughs> well, but I think it's interesting because you came at it from a different source material. So I'm assuming, Elwood, you, you know, you've read the manga, we've both read the novel. Yeah. But we did them because of the film. Um, yeah, exactly, because we obviously came to the film when it came out and then everything sort of followed in its wake. And I think without the film obviously having come out, then we wouldn't have seen the manga come out we wouldn't have seen the novel come out because uh probably wouldn't have been the the demand for it and if it had come out it would have been this real sort of surprise hit that just sort of like uh just destruct us all for six like like a one punch man or something like that you just don't think that something's gonna like like that is just suddenly gonna appear or even perhaps to an extent like in akira um, I mean, when Akira came out, I don't think anyone really knew the power of animation until we saw Akira. So no, and 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 also, you know, Akira also came with a time where people had started getting home video systems and sound systems, and you know, Akira and Top Gun were the two videos everybody had, and Battle Royale for people our age, because Emily just mentioned when I was fifteen. I don't even remember when I was fifteen. <laughs> I mean, Margaret Thatcher, and, Margaret Thatcher was you know, prime minister then. Oh, but... <laughs> and I, yeah. I would have been 15 in like 2005 or whatever. Stop so it. I'm seeing this movie Shut way up. after it. <laughs> Sorry, I don't think okay. I'm too 
<laughs> but you know, I watched it way after it had come out. It wasn't a huge thing, and that's like that's right. You know. And, and, so, and, and that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at is that Battle Royale came out in 2000, so 1999, 2000 is when this this boom of Asian Asian horror, at the very least. So we had this, yes, we had Audition, we had Juwon, which also stars um, Kuriyama's in that as well, isn't she? Um, we had. Um, and, and we had, you know, we've, we've talked about this many times. We had the uh, Tartan Nations cinema videos and DVDs came out, and we all started having DVD players at the same time as well. And so, mm-hmm. this is all part of that of that explosion, the J horror explosion. And from there, some of us went on and fell into K horror, and then K dramas, and then just wow, look at this whole blossoming bit of cinema that we just don't know anything about and a lot of us like me i moved in here from from art house cult cinema would you came to it from you know from other cults cinema, and you like you like a bit of anime as well whereas i'm not an anime guy at all um but we're slowly working on that aren't we so very slowly but <laughs> we, um yeah i think i think our, our, our starting points are very different Mm-hmm. And, and and actually my least favorite i've i've i got the first few episodes first few um books of the manga actually only because keith giffen who was one of my favorite writers of american comic books done the translation and i hadn't really thought about it being this film and it was so extreme and so over the top that i just didn't recognize it as this mm-hmm. um whereas for you it was the, the first film, the film is the reader's digest version yeah 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 um, and one of the things I, I guess I don't know if we've already talked about is that the books and the manga are ripe for someone to do a TV series style adaptation. Oh my take god! Take your time and delve in. I mean, I can imagine, you know, it like I'm shocked that right. they haven't. You know, CW keep threatening to do it. But, you know, you oh no, 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 no! I don't want a Zac Efron start because I remember there was rumours in like 2009 <laughs> that Zac Efron was going to be in an adaptation of, of it, but. No, if if like the West should no, no, no. I think this and Fables they constantly threaten to yeah. turn like into Fables, TV series. Fables, and... Why the Last Man? There's a whole bunch of them that you think there are people who could do it, but I think you're right. Yeah. I think the worst thing they could do is Westernize it. Yeah, because it is so Japanese, and so yeah. the, you know, some of the stuff we might talk about tonight is so Japanese. You would you would neuter it by by giving it a western spin yeah um and we obviously we know why there's never been a western spin because you know they have a i mean school shooting every other week so yeah, it's, all, it, it's all i mean and that that's what stopped it getting released in the states in the first place because right you know, there's a long history of um was it released in or around columbine it was due to come out around the same time that columbine mm. happened and they got pushed it just kept getting pushed back like the new James Bond movie, um, which has now been pushed back for like a third time at the time of recording. And it's now not so much time to die. It's more just time to really not care. Yeah, no time for James Bond um, anymore. Yeah. And you're just waiting for Netflix just to drive that truck full of money over and go, we're just we'll have that, thank you. now. <laughs> it's like the HBO Max deal's not seeming so bad. <laughs> With the combine thing, obviously, and the school shootings really sort of pushed a lot of things back. Um, and that's what's really it just, I think, just through the sheer amount of bootlegs that were getting released into the States, that it just it eventually just, they just thought, we're just going to push this through and just ride the lightning on this one, guys. And um, 
Whereas, you know, with for ourselves, we got like all the boys who love Mandy Lane before them. They got Snowpiercer before <laughs> us, and then we had to wait about as much time for us to get that because Weinstein uh, threw a titty fit with uh, Bong Joon Ho because he conned him over the inclusion of a scene. And, he who um, be named, you mean? <laughs> yes. And yeah, what I will say, you know, just continuing that thought on is, you know, there, there was those films in that in that Asian explosion, and getting someone else to watch audition or to watch Duom is quite a challenge. They're quite mm. challenging watches for people who, who who aren't open-minded enough to to understand the the different pacing and and the subject matter and, and frankly some of the gross out stuff mm-hmm. whereas battle royale although it's controversial material 16 year old kids killing each other it's what a fairly sort of... understandable concept yeah get over does, that you don't you don't have to understand about um and i mean you know especially now death yeah oh god the Hunger yeah. games well and of course then you also had the hunger games which mysteriously the book came out at the same time but she, yeah, but she still maintains she, she had never, never heard, heard of, of Battle Royale. <laughs> like even the most popular Japanese movie of all time that people who don't watch subtitle movies have said yeah. that they've seen it, and this is like it's like I oh, don't I don't want to read a movie, and, but I watch Battle Royale. Battle Royale is exactly, great. So I managed to it's get like... my ex to watch <laughs> Battle Royale one New Year's Eve, and she would never watch a subtitle <laughs> movie, but this one she watched and she enjoyed. Yeah, and, you know, it's one it's of the compelling. few times I've ever been able to get her to watch. I, I was ever able to get her to watch a subtitled film that mm-hmm. you know that that and, and a genre film as well. Mm-hmm. It, it's um so it's it's got a certain something that a lot of that J J and K film influx had that just didn't have. And of course oh. now it's you know a battle royale, although it's a phrase from the like the. I believe, you know, from a few centuries ago, from a, from an all-in boxing match or something like that, where lots of people took part, it is, it has reinvigorated that phrase, and that phrase is now used in computer games and just, yeah. as, and it's in the general lexicon of hey, let's have a battle royale, um, it, and, and so it, it, it's, it's permeated many barriers, not just cinematic ones. And it's it's interesting to me that you describe it as a horror, and I'm sure you do that in like a subgenre sense, and mm. um, yeah. But yeah, as someone that started off with the manga, went to the novel, went to the movie, I don't think I ever saw because things like um, is is you on the the grudge and like the ring it's and that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, the grudge. Yeah, yeah. the ring is the other um, one I was trying to think of, but yes, yeah. Uh, Juon, the one that's had about fifty-seven sequels, whereas the rings only yeah. had fifty-six. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, I I still haven't watched those movies because I know that when you know I watched The Messengers with Kristen Stewart, which was a Japanese directed uh, horror movie um, set in America, and that was enough. Like just having that taste of Japanese horror um, shooketh me to my core, and so I still haven't watched The Grudge and The Ring in their original Japanese because I just know that they would fuck me up. So I never saw Battle Royale as a horror. I always saw it more. I mean, you know, reading into the book and and the author's sort of history, which I'm sure you've already gone into, and and where he got the inspiration for this, it's it's basically like an American person in the current climate writing a book like this where they were like 
people used to storm our classrooms and we would hide under our desks and they would shoot our fellow colleagues and that was just life living in my country and from that I had an idea that was this so and whilst that is horrific and very much horror I think because it's not you know slimy monsters and, and you know not to put down Japanese horror at all because it's a master like absolute master of cinema um, everyone knows it's the best, um, which is why I can't watch it because it's too scary. Battle Royale is more uh, uh, poli- like political, like so, like so it is. So, so it is. Adventure. It is. It, 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 I absolutely agree with you, but we do tend to because of those films that came across at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because I could make a very strong argument that Audition isn't a horror movie. It's got yeah. a horrible moment in it, mm. but actually. Hmm. Actually, you know, it's it's, it's more of a thriller, well, isn't it? It's, it's a drama that mm. with, with 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 a gross bit at the end, um, <laughs> and, and and a bit of a jump with a sack in the middle. But if you look at it, it, what it's actually about, it's a horror story. It's just a slow burn, same way that um, you might consider some of those old English ghost stories, or mm. even things like Tales of the Unexpected. Are they really horror, or are they just? weird stories about weird stuff so yeah. i kind of put it in there but there are of course films like um uh toya which is a, a norwegian film about in fact there's been a couple of films about the massacre there um which have been dramatically done there's polytechnique which is about the uh, the school the school shooting at the girls school in montreal um there are films which are about real life shootings and kids shoot killing each other are they horror films or are they dramas yeah um, you know is lord of the, the flies matter. a horror because exactly. this feels very lord of the flies well, yeah absolutely i mean lord of the flies is probably the source text for all this and lord of the flies i seem to i it is horrible you know kids, oh yeah kids killing kids and and turning on each other it is it is to its core <laughs> it's just summer camp it, in scouts all over again yeah. and, and, and then we could we could we could talk for days and... about what is horror, yeah. And I think horror can be what you make of it. I mean, mm-hmm. things can be horrible oh, as well. <laughs> but 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 I I, th- I think you're right. I think I think it's more of a of a drama, political. It's almost like a, a political drama. It's mm-hmm. not a thriller, really, is it? But to me, you know, it it it, it engages in the horrible. There's a little bit of gore tonight. Yes. Tonight segment has got stuff which is going to... If, if a previous episodes of things we've talked about of the main show, anything to go by, should make it the best-selling episode of all time. Because well, a, yeah, I mean, do you do trigger warnings? <laughs> like, like, like major trigger warnings in this episode for sexual violence, for rape, for... Um, and, 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 uh, like, and, just horrible you know, stuff. Th- th- there is. I mean, we've got to remember that our, our top-rated episode of all time is... is Kim Ki Duk's Mobius, which involves involves penile separation with knives. Ah, uh, yes. Um, so, so our audience like that. Oh. That's over on our main show, yeah. the Asian Cinema Film. Nailed it. But um, we, you know, we have talked around Asian culture has a very different attitude to sexual violence. Um. Oh yeah, it's definitely yeah. been a reoccurring um, theme within well, from our, actually, our main show. Felt, We've certainly yeah, talked this, about the attitude towards this rape. Certainly, actually, was a very Western reaction to it 
because normally it's laughed off or even seen as just a character flaw. Well, I was going to ask because I assumed you guys knew more than me and I tried to do a bit of research, but I was going to ask what the sort of consensus was on that and whether... Um, yeah, I mean, I have lots of questions and lots of things, so, like, yeah, carry on, and okay. I will raise my hand when I have a question. <laughs> Listen, what... Yeah. Well, tonight's episode, there's two main characters that uh, this particular chapter focuses on. Obviously, we mentioned already to uh, Keiko uh, Chigasaw, or Chigasaw, as she's probably better, best known. And at the same time, we also have the rather sleazy uh, Kashuja Nida, who we saw way back um, at the start of the game, since he's the one who um, who shot his friend with the crossbow. And we've not seen him since, but he makes a reappearance in this chapter. Because, as I said, we're open with uh, Chigasaw, and she's has a flashback uh, to a time when she was training. And uh, it's just basically her and her running alongside with her best friend uh, Hiroki, who in the previous chapter we saw he was teamed up. He was had a brief encounter with the third man and his two guys, and he rather than teaming up with them, he told them that he was going off to find Chigsaw, and he was obviously obviously because he wanted to speak to her, and he was also at the same time looking for um, the girl that he's also really infatuated with and we have a flashback to their friendship and in the film he's just seen as like her bicycle guy to sort of help coach her when she's running but if we look it back in the manga especially um his character is kind of like a martial arts master and she's the one who inspired him to get into martial arts so she basically stood up for him when he was being bullied as a child and it inspired him to get into martial arts so he could defend with some quite toxic ideals she sort of says stop crying boys don't cry you you should never cry yeah which is a bit questionable but he is he finds his own spirit and he pursues martial arts and they have a really wonderful friendship and I mean, it's funny you should say you you should say there's like this toxic element, but I always just saw it as just her being a tough girl. No. I mean, the fact <laughs> that she sort of like she stands her own. It's not like she was like disappointed. It's just like you knew someone needs someone to get in the stern talk to, just like get your life in order sometimes. And she was that one to him. But at the same time, while she's obviously got this sort of like sort of stony faced disposition about her, she's been secretly harboring feelings for him, even though they're kind of unrequited on his side. Um, now, obviously, for having found the only road on this island, I don't know why how she makes that, but she turns up at the shrine, and it's here that she uh, meets her. Can I exist in the real world? I thought the road only existed in her in her either flashback or fantasy. Yeah, there's a really wonderful meld of she's on the road in her flashback and she's got no collar on. And as she turns mm. the corner and we see she turns off the road. That's right. But then when we zoom in on her, she sort of comes to and realizes that she's still got this collar on that she's in the middle of this game. And it's never really confirmed whether the road was actually there or whether it was just a dreamlike segue into the real world. But I think it's such a brilliant way to properly introduce this character who we've only really seen briefly, but in a way that you're like, oh, hey there, what's uh, what's your deal? Going to look forward to getting to know you later. And also just that, as we've previously seen, the best characters have a costume change and she is one of them. Yeah, wearing a bright Smart yellow tracksuit though in the middle of a ballerel. <laughs> Why do you look? There's people with guns and you're dressed as a duck. <laughs> That's all I got Please to say about that. Quote of this episode. 
She's channeling her inner Bruce Lee, of course, isn't she? Absolutely. Is that it? It focuses the attention I mean, this, on her. This whole scene, great, this, but... this, the, 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 basically, she, she, she is briefly in the film a bit early on, but you wouldn't have noticed her first time round. She looks very and, plain, and, doesn't she? In the, the classroom, oh, she's looks... striking. She's a striking actress visually. Who looks? I mean, she's a she was a model. She was a child model before anything. But she, she looks strikingly different to any other Japanese person you've ever met. She, she just visually. Um, anyone who's seen her in Kill Bill or um, any of our other work, um, she's in at Zumi Two, isn't she? And she's in Juon. So you know, we, we've seen her around for a long time. Yep. But she's strikingly different. But I just thought it was interesting. Her scenes, basically, it's just this. She's just in two scenes, back to back. Mm-hmm. So, she, but she gets an, almost an entire arc. She gets, I... she, she gets, she gets character development that very few of the characters get. Oh my god! Are you reading my notes? Like literally, <laughs> I have written here. She's one of the few characters that's allowed a little bit more personality, and mm. it's interesting because that is usually reserved for plot pushers. You could take Chigusa out, and it wouldn't affect our protagonists or their journey. But she gets most of her own detail, and she gets time to herself to have her story and the only other people that really have that especially women in this movie are Noriko who's one of the main three Mitsuka Suma who's one of the primary villains and then I would argue the little like Catholic one that's like super psycho in the in the in the White House um because their (laughs) actions forward the plot of Nuyu Shimahara and all the other main characters whereas as I say Chigusa like she's weirdly it's it's like they read the book and the manga and they were like this is my favorite character and she's going in like i don't care we're going to cast this great actress and she's having 10 minutes to herself and maybe, because... we've, and maybe we've only got her for two days yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's just let's, back let's to back it. it let's go because it's really <laughs> weird because normally you'd, you'd sort of you'd sort of pe- pepper her scenes across the across the mm. movie yeah there's no need for her to die 20 seconds after meeting her yeah um but but the, the, it's together, yeah. and she does. She she wears something, you know, just spot on. She's one of the few characters that has a costume change. She's striking, and interestingly, two of those characters cross over, don't they? Mm. In, in, in for, for thirty seconds, it's memorable. We all remember this character. Anyone who's seen this film will remember this character because mm-hmm. of how she looks and who she is. And, and and it's not just oh, she's the girl from Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. I think there's way more to it than that. Oh yeah. yeah. The her scene in this film, though, and there's many other emotional sort of scenes in this film, is why the film is as special as it is. It's not just a throwaway sort of grand house experience that people could see it as. Because that's the whole concept of the film: fifty kids in an island, they give them weapons, they're going to kill each other to the death. Very sort of throwaway, sort of trashy, sort of like seventies, eighties exploitation cinema fodder right there. But we have these emotional moments, such as Chickasaw's character arc, um, such as um, her best friend looking for this girl that he really fancies Mm. these real sort of moments of humanity scattered throughout the film which give it this emotional core which we're just not very used to seeing in this sort of movie we're just used to all these characters like being so disposable and just there just to add to the body count we're not used to having emotional connections to minor characters the way that this film does 
the guy that she loves but doesn't love her, but they're really good friends. Who's after? Um, who's he looking for? He's looking for Kyoko, isn't he? Who yeah. he loves? Who? Who? Spoilers is going to end up killing yes. him because she doesn't know that he loves her. And 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 his story's tragic. So, <laughs> every, oh, so sad. Every, everybody, but but this whole chain, this whole this whole sort of sub story does absolutely give the film an emotional backbone because I've got to be honest mm. with you, I don't give a shit about Noriko. She's the no, biggest she's, whinging bitch in the so whole boring. film. And, and this is why I was always drawn to Chigasa, because our main woman was either villain or pathetic girl, and yeah. then you've got Chigasa in the middle, who's like kind of a mixture of both, but like mm. really interesting, and not many other characters get flashbacks. She's, she's hard ass and tragic. And the last episode, do you remember the last episode where we talked about Noriko, where she's fucking dying of blood loss, and she goes, oh, did you fancy that other girl? And he and, and he basically says it now's 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 not <laughs> You could phone that as delirium though. In the retrospect. same scene is played out here five minutes later when she's dying in the arms of Hiroki and she says something pretty similar like, You don't love me, do you? And he says no. But this has heft Yeah and meaning. Whereas Noriko is just like, Oh, grow up. I mean, yeah, if I would, I'd have, really I'd, and it's such a shame because Noriko's not necessarily a bad character in either of the other mediums, but in the movie she's translated to such a wuss, mm. and because everyone's sort of toned down a bit, by toning her down even more, you lose her Wonder Woman strength and kindness and grace, and instead you just get kindness and grace, which in the scenario you're just like, come on, Noriko, this is how we and, die, and, and like. That weird- and that weird connection with Kitano, yeah. That, that to me is the weakest bit of the movie because her oh, character doesn't it. doesn't doesn't hold up under um under scrutiny from from the character we meet. Whereas Mitsuko and um and uh, oh crikey, I've forgotten her name. Ch- Chigusa have strength and depth about them. Yeah. Which is weird, you know, and quite often, I guess, I suppose, in anything mm. except a Marvel film, the bad guys are normally the most interesting ones. But, yeah. um, but, but, and, and, but this time, our, our main character, you know, one of our main characters is so weak, and then these two really show her up. Yeah. And that, I thought it was such a shame that she has such a yeah. small part, but then such a relief that she has a part at all. It's really bizarre. I think she is. Because he's sort of limited in what she can offer, offer really in the film. I mean, if she doesn't die here, I mean, what do we have her doing? Basically, just dogging her, um, Hiroki around. Oh, of you, course. You raised a whole different set of fan fiction then when you just said that you stopped <laughs> when you said having her dogging. But um... I know I was like, wait. <laughs> <what? laughs> okay, calm it down. But. I mean, when we look at her in the in the Mangrim Tickler, I mean, she's this star track and field athlete, and you know, because in the film we just have it believed that everyone just turns up for basketball and nobody does anything else at this school. But um, no, she's got this sort of cold attitude to her, which is she's a dubbed as robo bitch. She's also got this real sort of arrogant side, and she's got deep seated pers- uh, personal sort of image issues as well, which really come into play when uh, he manages to scar her face with the crossbow bolt compared to in the manga in the book where she gets shot in the leg with the crossbow bolt. And again, when we look at her weapon, she has a switchblade in the film and in the uh, manga in the book, it's oh, an ice pick. They would but change again, it, that's a minor whatever. change. Um, 
But when oh. you look at Nida, Nida in the book and the manga, he's kind of a football jock. And in the manga especially, he's an absolute pervert. He, he, the guy we see fall down the hill with a crossbow at the start, he wakes up because he's only unconscious and he intentionally shoots him with a crossbow bolt and declares that he's going to be this absolute cold killer that he's going to go around and he's going to rape women, he's going to steal everyone's weapons. He um, finds a pair of nunchucks as well, which comes into play when we get into the fight scene that he has with uh, Chigasaw, which in the film, he basically turns up and he's this weedy, annoying little guy. He's there begging for her to sleep with him. And I know that... um, it's supposed to be kind of like his pervy side, but for myself, I saw him like, oh, can we just have sex? We're going to die anyway. It kind of reminded me of that line in Independence Day where the guy's nope. trying to get the girl Still to gross. them because, you know, they're all going to die. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just very much here to be like, oh boy. He's very toned down in the movie from the novel and especially the manga. And in, okay. I think actually he's made more human and realistic in the movie, and but that without actually that, taking away any of his horror. Still- slimy and horrible no this is the thing because in the manga in the manga he's like a fucking super villain do you know what i mean like an absolutely no no it goes beyond football football jock so sweating he's slimy he's pure villainy he's like come up from the depths of hell and he's like i'm going to rape you I'm going to kill you and I'm going to rape you. And then when he punches her in the face, I want you to ask me for it. Tell me that you want it. Tell me that you want it. He then, when she keeps struggling, picks up her ice pick and says, guess I'll rape you with this then. You know, it's just absolutely extreme, violent, graphic, horrific. And she is struggling. And at points she has to succumb and play to his game, which is so hard to read for this character that's so strong and so vigilant that she's having to play his pathetic game um so in the movie it's so interesting that they they sort of take that very extreme aspect and tone it down but still keep the essence of it because i don't know about you guys but um if you've ever been harassed of like sleep with me sleep with me just sleep with me it's like this is so horrible and disrespectful and slimy and creepy. And yeah, he's like pathetic and he's running after her and he's on the verge of tears. And then you could see that it's him getting sort of angry and losing his temper. But when men lose their temper in real life, women actually die. So for this character to turn around in the face of all of this, because don't, don't forget, he's been spreading rumours about her all the way through normal school life. Which, he's been spreading rumours yeah, there. Which was mentioned in the and last that's... episode, and I was intrigued that one of the characters brought up those rumours. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't seem to be the type, but now you know, that makes a lot more sense in the context of, of the other media. Yeah. yeah. So she's taking out, when she gets to it, and we'll get that, um, she's taking out her anger... Mm of the situation that she's currently in her anger of this particular person and everything he's put her through up until this point and her anger at this person in this moment which is just you know it's sort of lord of the flies where the brakes come off and she's allowed to stab him in the cock with a knife you know she has no inhibitions anymore because this person has 
socially put me through hell, physically put me through hell, like, and now I'm going to get my revenge. And it feels very sweet. Oh, definitely. The Especially in the book and the manga, their confrontation is a lot more brutal. In particular, she, she sticks mm-hmm. her finger into his eye, and then when he's on the ground, oh, she stomps on one my of his God. nuts. I think I had that testicle. saved delivering on my, like, laptop at one point just that shot <laughs> that shot where she's like i stomped on it i heard it pop you're down to one nut now and i was like that, that's the coolest thing i've ever seen like i didn't know that oh, yeah. Could... Yeah, yeah you're down to one eye and one nut how I much do you want to gamble possible and they would just they could be popped like that's fascinating <laughs> information oh yeah yes you can you can do crush them and destroy them in many unfortunate ways there's been horrific tales of people who dislocated um the leg out of the socket joint and they've had it relocated <gasps> no! with certain things oh, also in the hole horrible move on um, God, but don't wait if he... two minutes of this show ever <laughs> this is this is how it feels though watching this fight scene in the manga between these two characters that's that yeah. that's exactly Where how it's... i feel when Where i read it in the movie he has no power at all other than the weapon he has. He's dirty, he's slimy, he's a foot shorter than her. Uh, he, he, you know, but obviously there's a lot of context there, which this scene does give. You know, it does all... All these things you're telling me about the manga and the, and, and the book, you can read all that into these moments. Yeah. You know, without, without knowing any of that, we know everything from, from a couple mm. of words that were in a previous scene and mm-hmm. this. We know the relationship between these two and what he's put her through. And yes, he's pathetic here. There's no, he's not a super villain in this. He's a pathetic little guy who happens to have a pretty decent weapon. And it turns out he's shit at it. Yeah, he misfires and then immediately asks if yep. she's okay. Yeah, and, um, and, and then you see that pent up frustration and rage. He just gets out her. Basically, mm. she threatens him, says, if you're going to do it, do it. Yeah. Oh, well, you fucked up. And she gets her switchblade out. And you just know. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the film characters, their weapons out and they don't do anything with them. They run away mm-hmm. or something like that. Other than Mitsuko, who, you know, gets anybody with any weapons you get a hand on. And, mm-hmm. and, and, the, and, the, and the other fella, the, um, the mentalist guy. But, and she physically attacks him rolls down the hill, stabs him in the chest, stabs him in the nuts twice. Um, fake, fake CGI blood appears. And um, it's violent. And it's like 15 years of frustration comes out in 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. And you know why she's doing it. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is doing it because, yeah. either because of some um, perceived bullying or something like that that's gone on or they're trying to survive in the game with her it's nothing to do with the game mm-hmm. this is this is revenge for the rumors for the constant harassment for, for everything yeah and that, and that's why it stands alone i don't think there's anything else in this film where the violence is is as encapsulated as that and meaningful mm-hmm. and i really love the way they shoot this um scene as well the way that the camera moves around her giving her the center space and um like giving her these strong foundations and pushing her strength up she's constantly like 
animalistic and the camera is like following that as well she's so she gets so many shots where she's bang in the middle of the frame and she's just strong and solid and the camera is strong and solid and it's so good because again like no other women even though you know it's a whole class of kids and there's literally from what i recall like 50 percent of them are girls but i Literally, it would have been, yeah, it's 50, it's 50, 50, 50, 50, 50. And you've got barely any, a handful of names that I could give you. Another handful of like characteristics. But by that, I mean the chubby one that gets poisoned. Do you know what I mean? Very few of them. I can tell you deeply what they believe in and who they're friends with and what they stand for and what they're like. And Especially in the movies, basically what I'm saying, because obviously the other ones does flesh it out a bit more. And, you know, she's one of the only two out of 50, 50 percent of the cast. Only two women kill boys. And she exists in this film for four and a half minutes. Yeah. Why aren't more girls killing boys? Well, Well, we do have to remember it's Japan. So, so elaborate, elaborate on that, because all I really managed to Google was, um, what was it called? I learned a new word today. Where is it? Uh, Panchira. Are you okay? Explain. (laughs) I'm not aware of that. A brief glimpse, a brief glimpse of a woman's underwear. Oh, now you obviously you don't get this in the movie at all. She suffers from it. You haven't seen Love Exposure yet, then. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> and obviously, the main character's job is taking photos, upskirt photos. But God. yeah, that, that, that's a classic sort of manga trope, anyway, isn't it? Yeah. But but, but in Japanese society, Japanese society, and I apologise for any Japanese people who are listening. Like none of them, so I won't apologise. But it is quite a misogynistic society. Yeah. Right. Um, women women are rarely in positions of power. There's a real glass ceiling in terms of work, in terms of opportunity, in terms of their portrayal in media. It's fairly recent that we get strong characters on television and on and and, and in cinema. They do exist and, and funnily enough the two main girls in, in this movie, the two main actresses in this movie actually have gone on to lead TV shows than lead films, which is, is, you know, it's not to say there aren't famous actresses, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't be strong in a physical way, yeah? Right. Because um, I did wonder about that. I did assume it was something to do with the culture. Similarly, that was her being raped, even though it was very much clearly to vilify Nida. Was it also a punishment for her standing up for herself or am I reading too much into it? No, no, I I don't think you are. But actually, I think you should actually in this case, which I think I was trying to get out earlier, you take it the other way because normally rape is, rape is comedic or or, or, not maybe comedic's pushing, not maybe not. It's, it's used as a tool. It's used as a tool of violence much more often than it is in Western Mm. and even, even in less enlightened times, you know, Mm. You, but they will make jokes about I'm going to rape her, oh and that's meant to be fun. It's more in Hong Kong. Yeah, there's yeah, but it, the comedic. We see it in like a challenge drunk card where like there's characters accusing her for a rape, or you see characters being really handsy with yeah. female characters, especially. 
and you wouldn't obviously see that in Western things. And you see, as Stephen said, there's also the other films that's just like raped by an angel and stuff, which are just it's played very light. It's not like you're watching Irreversible here, which is how we would obviously approach a subject like that, where it's this shocking moment and obviously the mm-hmm. catalyst for something bigger. Whereas in obviously in Asian cinema, it's uh, either played for laughs. Uh, because the uh, character's getting handsy, or if it's the actual act itself, um, it's often yeah. And I wouldn't more, say more things like the Me Too movement have really had much, especially in Japan. It's, it, it hasn't really had much of an effect. You know, it's not been the seismic shift that it has been in the West, or indeed, you know, in Hong Kong, it's been huge. Yeah, mm-hmm. lots of bad behaviour has been exposed, and people have been, you know, shamed and removed. Um, mm-hmm. low Bate Logan, Eric Chang, uh, Eric Sung, um, and some others, you know, have have rightfully been exposed and ostracised. Whereas in Japan, I don't get the feeling it's so much there. But it's mm-hmm. embedded. You know, it's it's hard to criticise as an outsider. You know, one criticises it because we have Western twenty first century values. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm which not still a, aren't perfect, but I just think the sort of very. You know, I read the manga at a very formative age, so I didn't really think about it too hard. Yeah, and, but and like revisiting it, bit, we have to be a little bit careful with the manga because you are reading a translation through an American. Um, so although although the visuals you're seeing are probably the, yeah, the visuals are still the same. Yeah, the words though are probably radically different because it's not it won't right. be a it won't be a word for word translation, but will be mm. a, as often is with manga it'll be a, 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 a more of a transliteration. You know, they'll they'll take an idea and they'll it might not actually be anything like the words that are being said. Yeah, um, the manga in particular in the early episodes, the whole battle royale contest is advertised as this televised spectacle that uh, people watch and then they kind of drop that because they realise partway through the translation <laughs> that, no, this doesn't fit in oh, at and, all. Oh, and also, yes. And it so it randomly disappears. On the fly. Yeah, so they didn't right. get every, every, every book to translate and deal with it as a whole. They would have been given one or two mm-hmm. of the scripts and they would have been translating it as, as things get um, released. Right. None of that really matters because the reality is... There's a um, lot the, the, of the, it. The, the, the lot... It's there. It just doesn't necessarily. It, it, it sometimes has the gravitas. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But it, it might be dealt with in a slightly more glib way. And actually, yeah. I hear it wasn't. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he he made that threat. It was an it was an idle threat because she could have him. You know, phys- mm-hmm. the physicality mm-hmm. between these two actors. <laughs> She could kick his ass up and down the block like a conservative voter. The fact that she does get revenge, and she gets revenge by not just killing him, but you know, stabbing him in the genitals. Yeah, you don't get a lot of that in any. And that's not a you know, the number of films where that happens to men is very few. Mm. Um, and it didn't feel like. You know, if Mitsuka Suma had done it, I think it would feel sexual and it would feel sexual. It would feel like sexual violence. But here it feels like I am doing this for womanhood, for every woman that's ever been raped, for every woman that's ever suffered sexual violence, for every. Remember the backstory of a lot of the other characters, which isn't explored in the movie, but it is explored in the novel, and I assume it's explored in even more depth mm-hmm. in, in, in the manga, and that's what Edward's been explaining to us about it, is that a lot of the characters do, there is a sexual element to them, and these are children. 
Yeah. yeah. These are children and, and they're doing, you know, so you've heard about the girls, you know, the school girls that get paid to be company for middle aged men. Mm-hmm. After school. And some of that's sexual and some of it isn't. But let's face it, we all know it's sexual, even yeah. if there's no sex taking place. And that's that's not necessarily up front and centre in Japanese society. But it's an accepted thing that happens. You've heard about the vending machines that sell schoolgirls' panties, yeah? Mm-hmm. That's not that's not happening on the streets of Tokyo, but it happens. Uh, so, so the sexual politics, the place of women, the 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 way that certain signals and symbols that we might view as overtly sexual might not, to the Japanese audience, mm-hmm. be quite as overtly sexual. But I did feel, you know, again, it's the third time I've said it, I, I felt this was a real Western-style statement in the mm. depth of something which is operating within the Japanese aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Would you, sorry, just quickly, would you say that her character then is more sort of like Aowen, like a sort of bizarre twist on what you're expecting from this genre and this culture, where, you know, it's like, oh... She's yeah, standing well, think, up and being strong and doing something cool. I, like I think her and Mitsuko, Mitsuko are both examples of characters I would not expect to see in a Japanese film. It's funny because even though I don't know as much as you guys, for some reason Mitsuko Suma felt like she belonged. I was like, yes, this makes sense. Like very overtly sexual, lots of upskirting, very, very like sort well, of maniac. Got, got a, there, there is there is a history of that. In film, you know, the female prison sort of scorpion film, yeah. yeah, but but that 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 comes from the sort of the, the 70s, the late 60s, the 70s. Mm. But again, that's underground cinema. You have strong people in pink films, strong women in pink films, but they're still sexualized, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're still, you know, everything that you were saying. Um, but it's very rare to see a character like Mitsuko that is that is morally ambivalent. It's so funny you say you're saying that, and I'm like just from my own sort of experience on like looking at these like strong female characters and then thinking that like Asian Sim is just rife with strong female characters. I'd say there's more a leaning towards strong female characters than male characters when we look at like all the heroines in anime and we look at all the kung fu um goddesses people like Michelle Yeoh and that sort of thing like the Hong Kong system. Are they the yeah, Maggie Q and um... they, they, they can be they can be. Yeah there's four yes. or five names. There's four or five names. And there's also other character other really strong, really popular um actresses like um Anita Mui and people like that in, in Hong Kong Maggie Chung. But there are still a million more men. Um, yeah. A billion more. There are there are idols. But then that's the same in the West, isn't it? Uh, I just um, saw it when I had the when these girls had the like battle side. It was all like, yeah, this is great bit to see the the girls being taken charge because obviously in this situation you expect the guys to be the ones who just like dominate the field and the the, the girls are there just either be easy cannon fodder or wait for some guy to rescue them and these are two girls who don't wait for anyone to rescue them. They just take matters into their own hands and I think. Not only because of how these characters are written, but just how they mm-hmm. choose to take Mass in the whole hand is why I think there's such enduring sort of characters. Um, although I have to obviously question, like, with the book and the mangas, we've gone into great detail already with Chigasaw. I mean, she obviously has that flick the switch moment when she's on the wrong, she gets that very violent beat down. Whereas in the film, it's because her beautiful face is scarred that it suddenly flicks the switch and brings out that sort of psychopath side in her that uh, has to go into like full warrior mode, get the switch played and do do the business on uh, Matey. So I just wondered if it, 
it, how that sort of played for yourselves, really. It's interesting. I never, uh, right up until this point, I never read it as her beauty's being tarnished. I think you're absolutely right. I think as a character who's quite vain and um, highly regarded as the prettiest girl, it, it is sort mm. of like, you know, she does say, you've, you've scarred my face. Um, I'm going to fuck you up. Oh my god! And it's so the way like, she reaches the, to her the face. The way it's shot is she's absolutely sort of like, She's in this very <sighs> wonderfully baggy tracksuit. Like it's not like tight fitting or anything. It's like a it, it, made for purpose tracksuit. It's, it's, it's a shell brilliant. suit, right? It's a shell um, suit. People from Liverpool, great. you'll know exactly. What it is. <laughs> she's got a big yellow shell. So that's suit really lovely. You know, especially when you put her next to Masuka's um, short shorts and tight T-shirt. I think that's really, really great. And again, the, I've got a whole yeah. argument on one of these Google Docs that's like they're the same two sides of the same coin characters. And as I'm sure you both agree with. And yeah, we'll talk about that. Um, but that she's got this yellow tracksuit and this huge red slash across her face and just the two colors coming together. Um, and there's a lot of reds and yellows and oranges with the sunset later on with um, Chigusa in these scenes. And they, it's just so well thought out and wonderful. And I always read it as that was the last straw. And it wasn't that he fucked her face up because it's a classic cheekbone enhancing scar. Like, we all need one of them. It was more that she was just like, you know, you made me bleed my own blood type moment. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, okay, well, you've touched Mm. me now you die more so than you've disfigured me now you die that's what i always read it as it's i'm now just as we're having this conversation i'm just looking at this whole complete light i mean he violates her in the in the book and the novel in a very physical way and in this way he's Mm -hmm. violating her face again with the crossbow bolt it's just a different you're obviously having to adapt Mm -hmm. things because you can't go as full on in a film because if you if we shot this oh, the same gosh. way the novel and the manga um, were, we would totally lose the audience at this halfway point. It would just be this horribly mm-hmm. grotesque moment, and we'd lose this character. And there are horrible things done throughout this film, um, but for this scene, we didn't need to go as full on as that. It's just more powerful to have her like chase down chase down the weedy guy and then just like carve him up with the switchblade than to have this big drawn out fight. And she like chops his dick off, like, <laughs> like, like he barely scratches her really, and that was it. That was the last. Story. You know when someone like bugs you, bugs you, bugs you, bugs you, bugs you, and then they just do the smallest like poke in your ribs, and you like snap their neck. You know we've all been there. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Just like that. That was the sort of straw that broke the camel's back. That's how I always saw it. But also remember, he's using a crossbow bolt. Right. Uh, what is a crossbow bolt but one of the most phallic things that can be that's so yeah. true so if a guy <laughs> we, we, we're we... getting into Dracula territory again now aren't we <laughs> how Dracula was the unrequited <laughs> but, love poem yeah you know this, <laughs> this, this, Stoker. what more forceful and phallic thing is there than a crossbow bolt so he has you know he may have just scratched the skin but the what he's actually attempted has has many levels. Full on assault. That's yeah. such a good point. Do you want to know what his original weapon oh, yeah. was? Yeah, <laughs> a banjo. I mean, there is an alternate universe, <laughs> um, where he just plays her a uh, a lullaby. I'm leaning on a lamppost. Yeah. I just want it. A, a, a banjo, though. It's a stupid weapon. It's a stupid instrument. It's even stupider weapon. But just the idea. Just the 
visual of him doing like an upward swing like with a, a banjo it just brings a whole new meaning because you've seen like the Elka Bong where you use like an acoustic guitar in wrestling and just as someone to do it with a banjo I mean there's a DC <laughs> character called Mr. Banjo I don't know what he does but I just know he's called Mr. Banjo and he's up there with the Green Owl Squirrel for, for <laughs> stupidest characters that they've come up with and now, real characters from the DC Universe. Well, hello there. I'm Mr. Banjo. I'll steal America's secrets and send them to foreign enemies by playing Morse code on my banjo playing. <laughs> That's right. No. No way. You lump me in here with fatty garbuckle? I can fly. I can shoot nuclear blasts. I can literally, literally turn lead into gold. <laughs> well, you just hang on there, my friend. This banjo cost me almost $60, so we both bring a lot to the table. Now, where the f is Badge? Down the hall. First dressing room on the right. Oh, hello. My name is Badge. And I think the squirrel makes more sense than he does. Because he's, um, I think there's an episode of Robot Chicken where they have Mr. Banjo and he just like turns up at the Super Villain League and he's like, I'm Mr. Banjo. <laughs> he's like, there with a little straw hat just digging it away. You could certainly do some damage with a banjo if you held it by the neck and bash up the head of it. But I am just getting huge George it's... Formby vibes now. And I'm seeing, <laughs> I'm seeing a battle with... It is a ukulele. Wasn't that ukulele know, though? Potato, potato. <laughs> shit, oh, shit, it's... shit. Pseudo guitar. That fight though. Um, <laughs> um, I'm just, I'm just. <laughs> Foreman versus Ali. I'm, I'm envisaging a, a battle royale between entertainers from a previous age. Morgan <laughs> versus Wise. Formby versus. <laughs> well, you know, first kids of a certain generation, we did get that with Celebrity Deathmatch on MTV. Indeed, we did indeed. We did indeed. <laughs> the show which came with the warning that the, this show features um, poor celebrity Im imitations, and then just face it, it's clay. Because <laughs> uh, back in the day, MTV used to put warnings. Same with South Park about you know people shouldn't be offended because it's an animation. Yeah. But um, well, they have poor arguments, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, but yeah, I have a quote here um, that you may recognise that the purity of the Japanese schoolgirl that is so often corrupted and how it's the poster child for things that are wrong with Japanese society. That's something you said in the previous episode when you were talking about Mitsuka. And right after Chigusa has sliced open Nida, yes. Mitsuka shows up in her short, short, tight t-shirt glory looking so hot. And the two stare at each other in a way that, and I know it probably already does, but I'm like, that passes the Bechdel test for me. Like, <laughs> like those no, women no, have had a conversation. Having, they're not actually having a conversation. <laughs> but they are. It's not really about guys. And, <laughs> and, and yeah, I, I, I can see what you're saying. Did you just quote one of us? I'm just trying yeah, to go, just... that sounded really intelligent. <laughs> I, think, I don't think I said anything that good, so... <laughs> quoted mate wow that's it I can't that. <laughs> um but the yeah. show works so I, I, I think you're right um they go and ruin it in other scenes <laughs> but, um, because it... what's so wonderful here is that they they have this really intense stare and what's so tragic in the manga is that she doesn't even see mitsuka before she 
pummels bullets into her back. She just, just you turn the page and she's been shot three times in the back, and it's so heartbreaking and exhausting to read but in this one i kind of like i like both i like that we're able to have both i like the shock horror of being shot in the back and i love the like holding of the glare like rabbit in headlights but initially there it's like they're on the same playing field because i think in the book doesn't she say to her i've always admired you you're better than me you're a better girl than me um, because they're both pretty, they're both smart, they're both um, awesome. I hope but does Mitsuko say that to? Yeah, um, Mitsuko says that to Because, because she has got this huge fucking um, inferiority complex, yeah, hasn't she? Chip on her shoulder. That'll be because of the child abuse, I imagine. It could but, be um, many things that Mitsuko <laughs> was involved with. I mean, she's yeah. a drug dealer. She's a pimp. She's running a crime yeah. ring. Um, I think she'd been a prostitute as well. She gets like, her just... own sexual violence in the manga. Awful. So, but, but, awful. It is, but it is all full of self-loathing and full yeah. of, of inf- a feeling of inferiority. Lack of love, and, fundamentally. And as, and as we've said before, Battle Royale is her chance to get revenge on every fucker that ever put her down. Mm-hmm. And, there's, and there's that moment, you know, it's my favourite moment in the film it makes the whole fucking basketball shit make sense because at the end when it pans across you see her on her own looking across and she's not part of them and that makes sense of her whole character and similarly when those two she just pops out and as mitsuka does she pops out of the of the of the undergrowth there she is (laughs) and there's electricity in the air and it's only for a quarter of a second yeah it's minimal and you're right. And these are our two strongest female characters. It could go for a second, you think. Is Masuko thinking, well done, love. You've done yeah. what, I, what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I think there is. I think there's a moment yeah. of, go, girl. But I'm sorry. I've I'm got bigger issues than this. <laughs> and, um, yeah. I'm going to shoot you five times. Um, and I, I really like it, though. And I like how it sort of makes Mitsuka look bad as well because she's sort of stumbling over the corpse to try and shoot Shigusa who is zigzagging away like a rabbit and Mitsuka looks foolish very quick like very small amount of time but she looks foolish in my eyes because I was like fuck you I'm and out it's not like, clear that she's even shot her no until until of course the next scene where we yeah. find out she has. so but but you could stop the film there and not know <laughs> And say, yeah. oh, well done, Chica, so you got away. Because yeah, we know no. that she's a good track runner or whatever. And I, and therefore I found it really interesting that with the conversations that they have in other source materials and in like that very small eye contact that they have, I think they are, as you previously mentioned, very similar characters. And that brings me back again to why they are the most sexualized and the most the ones that have the most sexual violence and sexualization in their plot points and in their narratives and is it because you cannot separate it from beauty because they are both the two you know there's not from what i recall nobody in the lighthouse has some sort of dark sexual backstory but i could be forgetting oh yes the the lighthouse is a whole unrequited lesbian love affair happening. That's in. But it was seen that in the manga Queen's Blockade. Proof, they, proof they that go into women the whole, should rule the world. 
Yeah, and uh, well, we had that little microcosm of the girls who are running their own ship in in the lighthouse, and uh, what happens? And One of them poisons the other, yeah, and then the synchronized suicide club falls apart. It's, it's the Garden of Eden, and then a man comes in like a sneaky snake. And everything goes to shit. As we want to do. Welcome to the history of the world. But, um, but again, you pointed out before, they've both, they, every other female character, I think, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, remains in their school of form. Yeah. Yeah, using my best Charlie and Lola there. You know, they're all in their school of forms. These two are not. Yeah. And these two, and so are they sexualized because they're getting more screen time? because of who they are, because they happen to be actresses that we know later on in life, and maybe we're just more familiar with them, whereas the others are a bit identical, and they're all dressed the same, they've all got very similar hairstyles. Mm. Um, so is, is, are, are we, are we viewing it's... it as, as, as with lots of extra knowledge that we've got, and reading something into it that isn't there, or is this very important? And you said something really interesting, Elwood, we're halfway through the film. Mm. And yeah. that moment almost feels like once Chigasur gets killed, there is no coming back. Um, is she the There's 24th no... character to die as well? Um, she, I don't, in the book and manga she is, she's 22nd in the film. Okay, but that, um, but when you yeah. think about how many people survive at the end, <laughs> we're halfway through in many, many ways, in terms of running mm-hmm. chapters, um, in terms of how many characters have died. Yeah, it's almost as if that's a, that's a tipping point. And the death of Chigasur is the point of no return now. Yeah. I think that when it comes to their outfit choice, it's not about the about sexualizing these two characters. It's just about really just a way to hi- further highlight them from the rest of the pack. When we even look at the third... It's like bandanas or ha- hairstyles and things. Different yeah. colour bandanas. <laughs> a lot I always found a lot more of the guys had a lot more personality and a lot more going for them like a lot of the ones in the lighthouse meld together um the, and then you've got like the two that have the megaphone and then you've got like Tendo and the one with the um you know the chicka chicka I'm going to you know the thing that oh the <laughs> Yes, thing. I know the one you're talking the, like, about. Yes, the, the one who we saw Mitsuko um, like, offer yeah. a stickle, um, her former friend with the hand teaser. Yeah. Yeah, but a couple, couple, couple of episodes back where, where she said you've had your the period. I call her period girl because she said yeah, you've had your period. period yeah. Which is so fascinating that she knows, like, that's so brilliant that she's like, I know the cycle of all of my friends and therefore you're bullshitting me and therefore I'm going to fuck you up. And that's so cool. That's so badass. I mean, she, 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 like, is, she is pretty badass, but again, only gets like 30 I don't know her name. Yeah, I can't remember I can't her, name. her name. Um, we could look it up, but Fig- we're not going figure- to. Because isn't she Noriko's friend? No, I don't she's, know that. Um, she's um she she's Mitsuko's friend. She's one of Mitsuko's manga. She actually dies a different way. She doesn't get killed by Mitsuko. She uh, yeah. ends up getting tossed right. in the well by um the kid with the bulletproof vest. Um the who they refer to really fascinating yeah. as Frog Boy. Um mm-hmm. So we're not we're gonna touch on that um, when we come to it. Yeah, because in the especially in the thing he's got this big fat face and the wide mouth and 
So uh, that's why they call him Frog Boy, and he he he's got his own sort of arc. That is another thing about Asian films. Oh yeah, um, we've had Emily that they don't shy away from a fucking on the nose nickname. That well, there's you know. always a there's always a fat so. And, and if you look like a frog, we're going to call you a frog boy. <laughs> but that's just like, you know, that's like yeah. straight out of the Beano. That was Britain in the 1950s through it, to the 80s, you it, know? It, it, it is, it is. But Asians, Asians keep it going. <laughs> it, it, they it, haven't it, killed off that quality, tradition. Quality and satire in nicknames has well. not reached yet. It's purely picking on physical attributes. Amazing. And there is the, one of my favourite films is You Are the Apple of My Eye. It's a Taiwanese film. And the lead character literally says, he's, look, he's looking back at his friends as he's growing up. And he says, you know, I've got this friend and they've all got like um, Taiwanese, Chinese names. And then, and then he says, and of course, then there was Fatso, Fatty. And, and he just says, because there's always a Fatty. <laughs> in everybody's oh, story, the, the piggy <laughs> of the group. Yeah, that, that's right. And um, uh, yeah, I like I like the idea of frog. I, I, it's, it's a simpler time. I mean, you know where you are. <laughs> it's a, ter- a horrible time, and I'm glad it's vaguely over uh, here in England. But I know what you're so, saying. For yeah, media, yeah. it works. Yeah, very so well. I mean, she also escapes from Mitsuko, and. She um, ends up uh, being being found by um, by her her friend um, Hiroki, um, who basically Hiroki. comforts her as she dies. And she's one of like the well, the few characters who gets to actually have her final thoughts sort of read out. Um, Itsuko and uh, Shogo being the others, and yeah, the fact that she asks, you know he makes this like prayer to god that can you know just ask him one last thing in the novel it's really throw away it's sort of like she's like oh you've become such a stud <laughs> it's like it's got none of this emotional re- impact that we have in this scene <laughs> and i think it's i think it's their use of language is slightly different to ours like you wouldn't call someone a you know in the movie she's like hey hiroki you're really cool and he's like thanks and watching it as a kid, I was always like, that's what you could come up with. Like, that's what you went with. Yeah, and but, like, I imagine it was a lot of And then he said she's, like, the coolest girl in the world. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, it, I don't know. It's still a lot of okay. emotional resonance. So this I'd being... like to be called the coolest guy in the world. That would be the best way to go, I oh. think. Yeah, but the person calling you this is going to die in a second. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So as you're dying, <laughs> you're being called it. Because yeah. the sun is setting and the hues of red, orange and yellow are falling on her yellow tracksuit that's now stained with red and she's laying there and Hiroki shows up out of nowhere to the point where she's like oh my god, is this a dream? And then you have the heartbreaking And that mirrors back five minutes ago when we first met her which was in a dream It was a dream These two scenes are next to each other and they mirror Mirror mirroring and she oh god romeo and juliet style he's like i tried to find you but you ran you just ran so fast and i couldn't keep up with you because the thing that has been keeping her alive up until this moment has also been keeping her separate from hiroki and it's so sad it's so classically it feels and, you know, you have actual relationships and couples in this movie. You have really tragic plot lines where a, a, a couple kill themselves together because they refuse to play the game and they want to go out together. And this feels so melodramatic and so romantic and so unfair. And 
it's really poignant because of it and I think another reason people remember this character because you're also emotionally invested where you find out he's in love with someone else because because up until this point as well you think when he's constantly like I need to find someone else I need to find someone else I'm not sure that you're necessarily paying enough attention to know that it's not Chigusa that he's trying to find I mean in the book and the manga at least I think I always got that and then when he does find her and it's to be like I'm trying to find like Yoki or whatever her name is and she's like even in death she has a strength even in death she is vigilant and she is like you never loved me did you and he's like nah mate and she's like fine not even a problem i adore you and with that i die and she does it so strong and she does it so like calmly and gracefully and i just think it's really lovely that we get to have that um very dramatic trope of like oh uh, i guess we have time for a a goodbye monologue then which usually i'm so like ugh. Like, I much prefer a sort of wash where it's like, I'm a leaf on the wind. Kablam, where are your feelings? I don't care. But with this, I'm really glad that she got to sort of have her closing moments. Again, completely bizarrely, because she has nothing to do with the main plot. Why Why should we be investing in this character so much? And I'm so happy that we are. It, it, yep. it is. And and so who are the other... So there are three characters, aren't there, that get, that get their final words sort of written up on the screen. Um, who, yes. who else is it? Is it Mitsuko? Is mm-hmm. uh, Mitsuko. Mitsuko does, and uh, he gets his and, final... And Shogo, um, isn't it? Is yeah. So, yeah, they're the ones who get, who get the sort of payoff. I have to say, though, that when he meets up with his... Um, he finally finds his the girl yes. he's really into, and she act, she shoots him. I actually found that scene more emotional than this. But one, it is. So. But it is. But I was talking about before. You know that his his story is the most tragic of them all. I mean, he could have stuck so. with the third guy, third man, and probably possibly survived. He meets his platonic best friend, and she dies in his arms. He finally meets the girl he's in love with, who doesn't know that he's in love with her. She kills him, mm. and he says. Don't shoot! Everyone will, everyone will hear. <laughs> yeah, everyone will hear the gun. Mitsuka's on her way now. Fucking run! P.S. I love you. And she's like, I what? What? <laughs> yeah. what? what? You mentioned that before. And, 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 and <laughs> unrequited. I mean, this, 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 um, these people in this chain of unrequited love against unrequited love, and, and it's you know and it's, got... it's huge because they're teenagers, so it's mm. everything to them. And then you look at. Nariko and Shoya and that nonsense going on between them. Yeah. Oh, like you. Oh, you're the hottest guy in the class. And, and he's like so many. It's like Evan Dando records, isn't he? He's sort of like, I like you, but not really. He he he. And then here we actually have characters with and, real and, sort of emotion and real, between and them. And real stakes. You know, we talk. You know, who's the first? The first kid to die is his best mate. And after yeah. a little strop mention him again. <laughs> no, boo. Um, it's all oh, the second kid to die is his best mate, isn't it? It's a set, yeah, because uh, the girl it's talking the class, um, <laughs> is the first, Classic. and then um, Takashi gets his revenge on Nobu stabbing him in the ass <laughs> by blowing again, his, his head it's off. It's really bizarre addition, rather than you know, it feels like they're trying to make more of it when there's nothing more. There was enough. There was enough. 
we didn't need that additional hatred because then by adding his the sente's love of Nariko, you're like oh my god as a character as she and anahara the main character how am i meant to feel about this you absolutely loathed my best friend you absolutely loved my other best friend where do i stand with yeah. you like i don't suddenly feel sorry for you and mean, then of course but he doesn't stand anywhere that's... does he he's just not important to him he's no. not on either end this this kid uh, uh, his that character our lead character he's a good actor the fella playing him and he's mm. gone on to much bigger and better things mm-hmm. but his character is so empty so empty it's like it, twilight character I, 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 I do not i do not care about him at all the fact that he survives spoilers survives in the end makes it to the <laughs> sequel I... oh but i think that be with his character though he goes through he goes through such hell and he's just constantly just he's just doing everything to get back to Nariko and I think because he that's promised where his brother the real so power of their relationship like, nah, is. Mate, like is that's that's it's hard to judge him at this point because we've got to get to the end of the story to really get what his character is because he's still gonna go through hell yeah at the beginning of the film he comes across his dad who's hung himself with with all the writing saying go on son you keep going Run. Right? Um, that, that's that's a tragic start but for for the guts of this film up to this point i do not feel any attachment to him at all no. i do not i do not see him or feel him as our main character i don't will him to succeed any more than anybody else there are there are three or four other characters i have a deeper connection with yeah. including um you know chigasa who we meet for four fucking minutes mm-hmm. um i think i I think, though, with him, though, we have to wait until he's, like, a broken shell of a man where he's, like, limping on the crutch mm. in the rain for the woods and he's, like, still, like, I'm going to defend you. It's like, I've he's... got one leg and an arm and I'm going <laughs> to no. still defend yeah, you. And I, that's I, I... when we see his, his character. It's not, well, it's obviously with uh, our relationship here. I mean, it's obviously got smaller time so we can mm. keep it all but compact we... and we don't but have to But if we didn't have journey. these characters which which do emotionally engage us this would be a much lesser film because you're right he does not become interesting until much nearer the end of the film yeah he's 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 mm. quite passive in i not... would argue he doesn't become interesting full stop because even to escape and even to get on board anywhere they're still relying on shogo and the third man and all these other characters and they're just they are just riding off other people's hard work and luck but you also look at Shogo again. I mean, he's what? He's just basically a grumpy sub to this first half of the film. He's doing his own thing. And it's only as the film goes on, the experience they go through to that, he realizes, you know, I can find redemption for the previous games by helping these kids and taking out uh, the psycho transfer student and, you know, being a force for change in this game and have loads of really weird skills that make no sense whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Um,. Because his dad did them all. Yes, I know his dad. <laughs> Interesting fact, though. Uh, when it comes to Chigasaw, she is one of the few characters whose parents did ha- not have some sort of government agitation. Yeah, she had a lovely actually... sister and a dog. She's living her best life. Yep. You, Same you really bought seven. into the manga, didn't you, Emily? <laughs> you, you're not kidding. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't think I've loved a book as much as you've loved the manga. <laughs> 
But then again, I mean, when Emily saw... I mean, any book, ever. <laughs> with, with Emily, she's sort of justifying what we all thought when we were building collections, that, you know, we're going to have this collection and we're going to impress girls with it. Not the fact that we build the collection because we can't talk to girls. <laughs> and so we're filling our lives with stuff and buffing. That's true. You even remember the boyfriend's... Do you remember the boyfriend's name? Oh, it's always just... Oh, he, there was a guy and he had... He had Battle Royale Basically, manga. He had Battle Royale and all of Angel on VHS. <laughs> and then I kicked into the curb once I stole them all. And there's a whole nation of weebos and nerds that say... He's married with a child now. Exactly. <laughs> that you've stalked him on Friends Reunited. But you know what this kid is? He's probably like, as I said, he's probably just like hoarding all these things. He's like, I can totally do it again. <laughs> I can get a hot chick again. Some girl is going to find this. See, but, you know, we went to we he went gave, to on, I, I up certainly on the went game. there to find out what they what happened to them and hoping that their lives had turned to shit. Oh, is this like pre Facebook? It is pre Facebook. That back in the days of Friends United, we all only went on it to hook up with old girlfriends. <laughs> like, so basically, you'd go on like, there and um, see where you went to school and where it, your first it, it, job it was, was like and then it would show you other people who went to school at the same time. Sort of like LinkedIn. What's a website? It was more like LinkedIn than it was like like facebook yeah but yes yeah. you know lots of people used it to hook up with exes yeah oh that God. absolutely happened i did use it to look how an ex-girlfriend facebook. was getting on and <laughs> hope that her life had completely fucking crashed and no she got married yeah. and had twins and was a teacher and oh, i thought well, well fair play yeah it this is why you in. shouldn't do that <laughs> In the film, we're now realising that in this film, Stephen's Nida. I am. And yeah, this girl like <laughs> says, like, scheming away to yeah, himself. I, 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 I have dark, dark things that, that, that sometimes I oh, expose God. on this podcast. You know, I'm not, not just a <laughs> professor, you know, I'm a human with flaws. <laughs> but yeah, when all I found from Friends United, being I lived in Cornwall, is that most of them, like, through fear of dying alone at 25, married people they went to school mm-hmm. with. And worked at the RAC call center, and I was like, I was so glad Same I got out of there. That's how I know because everyone knows each other, and I have a million mutual friends and like people that still see him today. Um, obviously, we mentioned already about when it came to Nida that um, his original weapon in the manga is a banjo. In the film, it's none the best as it's a coat hanger. Is it a wire coat hanger or is so, it a wooden one? Think- a wire, I don't know. I it just think. says coat hanger. So the wire coat hanger might be good for a, I don't know, opening doors or something. You could have someone's eye out with it, but at least <laughs> you could bash somebody over the head with. You could try and reassemble it, yeah, as some sort of weapon. Yeah. Or, I'm still getting over the fact that someone put a banjo. Or, <laughs> if you <laughs> came across a car, of... you could maybe jimmy the lock on the door. Yeah, but then you've got to have yeah, petrol. You have have, and well, you hope the car's got petrol in it because all those people have been kicked off the island. You can you can jimmy the the, the ignition. You just change. You just yeah. You just change the rules here. Just because uh, because in the in the manga, yes, it's people being shoved off the island. In the film, they're just not there mm. for whatever reason. Through government shoving or no, otherwise. But there is a anyway. Yes. Um. But um, yeah, I think this is um, it's it's kind of like a little it contained is. moment because every other sort of encounter that people have, they're just sort of like 
catching each other off guard or they're sort of stumbling into these moments or you have one of the the big hunters like um a mitsuko tin turns up and like ruins everyone's party but with these two they just find the and then they hit that point where uh it goes way beyond words and he either gets stabbed in the mouth with a ice pick or he gets uh his genitals rearranged with a switchblade either way bad day not to be him so, anything else we want to talk about in this chapter at all? Just that I know that everyone suffers and has a terrible time, but this always felt that little bit worse. Like, it just felt really sad for everyone It's one involved. of the first big emotional beats of the film, for sure. Um, even yeah. Nobu's death doesn't have the sort of emotional resonance that this one is. And I think it's been... Maybe because he gets killed off so soon that we don't really have time, and he's just sort of like yeah. the loud, annoying friend who steals all your snacks. Yeah, um, yeah. No, but every everybody who's died so far, there's no development with them. They they exist for a scene, or they're killed off screen, and you you know you, you want you. I'm kind of interested. I mean, you thought it was quite sad, Emily, about the couple that jumped off the cliff. Right? Yeah. But she pulled him off, and he wasn't that keen on going. Oh but, yeah, no. Well, as I was saying it, I was remembering that. I, but yeah. I didn't want to trash men again and be like, of course, the cowardly man backed out halfway through, and she had to um, pull him over with her. But 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 you know, mo- mo- this is the first time someone dies that we've had a chance to care about. And again, I'll reiterate, we've known her for four minutes. Um, <sighs> with everyone else who's died, it's been a cipher, really. Um, even Nobu, like you say, Elwood. We don't really know him. We only know him in context of a, a, a butt slash, um, really. Yeah, he's, he's... I mean, he obviously has... It, the, again, this is why you should read the... The, the care home sort of brothers. And so they have that sort of bond just through being situationally thrown together. And he kind of looks after... They look after each other. And this is sort of like his first big loss uh, for, him, for, for him. And that's why I think this is why he sort of is so determined to look after Mitsuko. Um, not only because he obviously promised promised Nobu, but I think it's he um it was sort of inspires him to sort of like look after her as 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 much. But no, he doesn't have any sort of real emotional depth that this is. And I think this is one of the big first emotional moments of the film, so Yes, I know. I just as soon as I said it I was like, no, that's you mean Noriko, not Mitsuko. You know why? Because <laughs> Japanese is hard. It's, it's, it's hard to write down. It's even harder to podcast, and you only realise this once we started this. So, but you both with her perfect pronunciation of every fucking so far, and I'm thinking, do we invite her back or not? Because she's making us look bad. <laughs> Emily's put the reason most people are here. So it's true, but then again, you know. We know of her relationship now with the with the manga, and that it is literally the bible of her life. <laughs> it pretty much is. I think it was a lot more influential than it a hundred percent should have been <laughs> at that age. Where I was looking at these characters, and I was like, "That's a good way to be," and it's like, "No, <laughs> no, 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 for Emily, it's Battle Royale manga." I have to ask you, Emily. I mean, obviously, you you read that, and I mean, this is a multi-volume book series um so did it inspire you to read any other sort of manga or to watch any anime or did it sort of inspire you to go down any sort of journeys there or was it just this one-off sort of encapsulated experience yeah no i'm very strange and always have been i'm very particular 
And just because you introduce me to something doesn't mean that I'll then be uh, introduced into that world. Uh, I've always been very much like, I like this artist. And they're like, oh, my God, have you listened to their album? And I'm like, no, I like this song by this artist. I'm done. We're done here. Transaction over. And it's the same with everything. Like, I'm so picky with podcasts that I listen to, with films that I watch. And I read this manga and in my head I was like oh cool fun obviously like no I didn't get into manga because it that would have been incredibly expensive and space consuming for one and for two there was never anything that quite piqued my interest in the same way like I was reading all of the sort of synopses of stuff and and the same with anime you know I've watched Death Note I've watched the first season of Attack on Titan and I've I'm making my way through One Piece um <laughs> it's such a journey it's a isn't it long journey and my poor friend i'm really enjoying it but it's the kind of thing that i'll put it down and then just like forget to return to it and she'll be like please can we continue watching some one pete you've got a long way to go we're on like chapter 200 like please and i'll be like oh yeah well, okay and then like love it when i'm watching it but yeah it's um yeah I'm just really particular and weird like that you can't convince me and like when I get onto something I become obsessive over it as well you may have noticed that um that I was like I will read the book and I will watch the movie but I'm not necessarily going to branch out into other Japanese I became fascinated with Japanese culture and like I love Kill Bill which is probably sacrilege to say as like a not at all no but yeah it's very respectful it's a source it's a homage, mm. isn't it, to um, to Eastern Cinema Part One, isn't it? And, then and I've, part I, you two, know, I've, said I've, before, it's I've Western seen, homage. Oh, I watched the um, the Revenge trilogy, uh, Old Boy Old and Boy. Sympathy so, for yeah, Lady Vengeance, and and again, I became obsessed with Old Boy in particular, and like watched that on repeat and sort of did everything. But you're I could not the that. sort of person that's going to watch something and then fall down a Wikipedia or IMDb or YouTube rabbit hole and come out no, the other no. side informed about 57 other things because that's what will happen yeah. to me I'll find something and then I'll want to know everything about it and I'll end up knowing lots of things about lots of things on a journey to another point I do half that so I'll go down the rabbit hole and I'll read all the trivia about it and I'll want to know about it so then I read about the author of Battle Royale and I wanted to know all about that but then I wasn't suddenly like oh I want to know about Japanese politics in the 1940s like I didn't fall down another rabbit hole like that that's what would happen to me absolutely because my you know my my degrees in sociology so that would that that the, the context of a film is always more interesting to me than often the film Mm-hmm. I'm more interested in what part it plays in the history and the sociology and what it's trying to talk about. And, you know, that, that's why Battle Royale fascinates me because it's, yeah. a, it's about a, you know it's about a Japanese view of American society, about the fear of the Japanese society going that way. Oh my God, juvenile delinquents are the worst thing that could possibly happen. They've been making films about that in Japan since 1920. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, this, this this is just another iteration of it. That I find way more fascinating than oh how how the shot was made. You know, I'm not interested mm-hmm. in the technical as such. It, look, it might look good. It might look beautiful. Like that's as far as my analysis will go. But yeah. I will come up the other side two weeks later knowing all about something. And you'll go, well, what's that got to do with Battle Royale? 
<laughs> but it, it's all part of that wider context. That's fair, and, and I, I wish I had that sort of um, ability to have that interest, no, but I get I wish, very I sort of blinded, and I like I get my blinders up, where I'm just I, like, I will know everything there is about Battle Royale, um, but I will reach a, a wall mm. where I'm just like, back into Battle Royale, let's go the other way and come out by that wall, rather than then suddenly being like, oh, well, while I'm here, I'll check out a Godzilla movie or whatever. I, I'd rather be like you because I have more room in my head then. <laughs> <laughs> I've got so much shit stored up there. It's hard to get it all out sometimes. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I've got a lot of shit stored up here. It's just um, <laughs> it's a variety of specific yeah? things. Yeah. <laughs> it's very comp- you know, what, what you know, you know a lot it's about. It's my little garden, little garden of information that I've cultivated Mine's more like the um, mine's more like the the tip. <laughs> <laughs> Two Polish like men up there, just, dump up there. <laughs> pushing it into different containers. <laughs> Sorry, I would. <laughs> no, I was just wondering if anyone has anything else to they want to add about um, Balleroyal tonight. Just that it's so good, and lemon notes because that's very. It was very important to me as like a tween, teen, I don't know, 15 year old. Um, Chigasa, I think her actress really did her research. She encapsulated, it seemed to me, a lot of stuff from the book where she's described as being, you know, because she's so athletically. And this is something that's often reserved for boys. So I really enjoyed that as well. She's an athlete and she does her school proud and therefore she's able to get away with like wearing garish jewellery and dyeing her hair in class and stuff. So I really enjoyed that. And it just felt like a character that I'd never come across before. And as a woman, it was very important to me because she wasn't, she didn't seem like a stereotype. She had personality. She was flawed. You know, she was cold and off, aloof, um, but still very sensitive. And she's just, she's just fucking great. Is there anything you want to talk about in this one? You covered off I guess, I guess, I guess in a way I sort of just reiterate that um, there are many things to love in this film. There are many moments and obviously the general idea is just stonking general great idea. But this is one of those points. These two scenes are, they're a little little mini movie in its own. And there's something that Emily pointed out earlier about that, that transition when she's jogging along the road and then she turns up to go towards the shrine and suddenly she's in, everything's been a memory up to then and or a fantasy and and it's so beautifully done i've just said i don't follow much about how films are made but that is because the, there's not a lot of style and flash in this film mm. but that is a moment of it that's a moment of superb filmmaking because it makes you think there's a it's got a flashback. You learn about a character. You learn about, oh, my God, this person's doing something differently. She's dressed differently. She looks different. She gets four minutes in the sun. And, and yeah, it could be, it could be a, you know, you can imagine if they did do the, the TV show of this, you could imagine this would be the highlight episode yeah. of that TV series. Yeah, that would be episode nine. Oh, my God, that's the one with that girl in the tracksuit. Like nothing else in that series. That's what the... Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a great, great scene. It's 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 not my favourite scene in the film, but it's it's in my top three. 
Well, this brings us to the end of another edition of the Banner Royale podcast. Hope you've enjoyed this very insightful evening that we've had tonight. And uh, thank you as well to our special uh, guest host, Emily. Thank you. This genuinely, I think I've waited all my life to do this. So thank you. Cool. Uh, before we go, where can people find you? Where's uh, why this film podcast is across all podcasting platforms uh, we're on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter as well, just look for the light pink it's me and we talk about movies from your childhood yep it's a really it's a, it's a really great show just hearing what, how people remember certain films and yeah it's just been it's been a great delight to go back through and like look at things like Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion um, and then be confused as to why nobody else finds Alan Cumming creepy as all hell. But yes, apart from that, Alan it's just Cumming been great. and that's I amazing. I hate Alan Cumming. <gasps> overacts every fucking scene he does, and this is all him alone. I, I hate him more than Alan Bennett. I hate Alan Bennett, but like and Alan Bennett, I just I can't believe you've done this. Alan... Well, I think you've outdone my dislike <laughs> of um, who's the woman I hate. <laughs> Um, oh God, that British actress Emma. Ginny Gruffalo. Emma. Emma. No, no. Um, Emma Watson. Be, no, used to be married to um, Kenneth Branagh. Emma Thompson. I can't fucking stand Emma Thompson. Can I just Why? get that out there? Oh my God, she's like, <laughs> oh, she's the most, oh, horrible. Woman. That's not a reason. No, she is. She 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 just epitomises the worst of being British. She's she she she's arrogant and snobby and oh and then and and she just sneers down at your nose and then there are two moments like where, like like you do feel sorry for her in love actually and if, I don't know if you've seen the film last night where she plays a a, a late night TV host uh, Mindy Kaling's character that came out a couple of years ago she's fucking brilliant in that that's the first time in forty years I I saw her in the Tall Guy which I think was her film debut at the cinema. That's that's how old I am, and I've hated her ever since Holy then. Hell. I've hated it's her. Everything that. you hated her in Much Ado About Nothing. You hated her in Harry Potter. I hate her. Oh my god! But I did like her in Last Night, and I did feel sorry for her in Love Actually. I've got so much to edit out this episode. <laughs> yeah, um, good, good luck with that. It'll be out this time yeah. next year. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you everyone for listening and uh, joining us. Uh, make sure you uh, come back again. Uh, if you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button. We have it, you happen to be listening to us, and you can also uh, follow our main show, which is the Asian Cinema Film Club, uh, where each episode, myself and Stephen, take turns to pick a film to highlight and uh, discuss. Uh, you can follow us there on both Facebook and Instagram. And Facebook in particular, we've got a really good, great community happening. We post fun little photos, articles, videos, anything that really sort of ties into our love of Asian cinema and fun curiosities as well. So uh, make sure you join us over there. But um, yeah, definitely hit those like and subscribe buttons if you're listening to us on the Battle Royale podcast feed or if you're listening to us on the main Asian Cinema Film Club feed. It all helps raise the profile of the show. And let us know what you think in the, uh, the comment section. Leave us a rating. It's all very much appreciated. But... Again, this is it brings us to the end of tonight's episode. Thank you to my co-host Stephen, and thank you to Emily, and we will be back next time with Chapter 13, A Confession. Good night. Good night.